But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make you love May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, thank you, Kerry. Now, it'd be lovely if everyone, if you've got a phone, flick on that and then you can get the Bible passage and the uh, talk outline. And if you need a copy of the talk outline, then put your hand up and someone who is an usher will come and grab, bring that to you straight away. It was lovely in the Sega Day time to meet some of my brothers, I didn't meet my sister, from, uh, from uh, St. Catharines up at Elizabeth, is that right? Yeah. And uh, Cam Phillips has been teaching you and it's, been, it's wonderful to see you here, Abraham, Abraham, Peter and my sister over there, <laughs> Marta. Lovely to have you here. Okay, uh, today I'm going to talk about presence and presence in the present and the future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please help us as we try and wrap our heads around what Paul the Apostle is saying in this wonderful short little book about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, may we take it seriously. May our lives be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as a way in, on Friday, we had the Black Friday sales. Uh, who was sucked in? <laughs> Did any? Oh, wow. You, man, you held out. Uh, retailers trade on our longing for Christmas presents. 
So maybe, I don't know, maybe you're impervious to this, but maybe you felt pressure to buy, but you didn't have a clue what to buy. Uh, You wanted to save some money, but you didn't know what to do. Well, don't despair. I've done the research for you. I can tell you, I've Googled it. The top toy in 2023 is still Lego or Lego, if you're from South Australia. They have... They have a present to satisfy every person's longing. For boys, of course, there is the Lego, Lego, excuse me, Guardians of the Galaxy New Guardians ship. For girls, there's the mini Disney Palace of Agrabah. For guys, there is the Lego Randlover Classic Defender 90. And for women, Lego have put out the Lego television sets for friends. (laughs) Hey, guys, you've just worked it out, right? What to get your wife? Including Chandler. All right. Now, maybe, maybe you're not longing for one of these Christmas presents. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Maybe, truth be told, you don't really long for any Christmas present, really. It's just a bit of a ritual. Well, I hope you're wrong. I hope that you long not for Christmas presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but for Christmas presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. You see what I did there. If we, like the Thessalonians, are waiting for God's Son from heaven, who cares about Lego? What we long for more than anyone else is to see him, to see him finally coming, and then to be able to stand in his presence. And in the lead up to Christmas, where we celebrate Christ's first appearing, his first advent. Christians have found it helpful to turn our minds at this time to think about his next advent, his next appearing. Jesus spoke about this in John 14. He said to his followers, I will come again and I will take you to be with me. In Luke 18, Jesus said, the son of man will come. In Luke 21, he said, the son of man will come in a cloud with power and great glory. In Mark 13, he said, men will see the Son of Man coming in power with great glory, and he will send his angels out to gather the elect. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, when the Son of Man will come in his glory with all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will gather before him, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And in this letter, in chapter one, Paul said the Thessalonians were waiting for God's son from heaven, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In today's passage, uh, Paul speaks twice of Jesus' coming. And then in every passage that we're going to uh, continue on in this series, Paul will speak of Jesus' coming, a different aspect. Jesus' appearance, his coming, will not be something trivial. It will not be inconsequential. It will be massive. It will have eternal significance for every human being who has ever lived or who is still alive, whether believer or unbeliever. Now, while we wait, there are really only two responses. Either we'll not think about it or we'll long for it. If we just don't believe he'll come or we think he'll come but we get distracted, we won't think about it. If we're fearful of that day and we're afraid, we won't think about it because it's too too much to think about. But if we're confident, we will long for that day. 
when we'll be in Jesus' presence. Now, I want to show you today that it's possible to long for Jesus appearing. Paul speaks about the joy he'll have in the presence of the Lord when Jesus comes. And he speaks optimistically about being blameless on that day. Imagine that. Do you want that? Do you want it? I hope you do. Is it too good to be true? Absolutely not. Okay, first I want us to think about the future joy we can have in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Paul speaks about himself and Silas and Timothy having that joy. Now, what is that joy? Is it the joy of finally seeing Jesus um, being one who's longed for his appearing? Is it the joy of relief? Finally, you've made it. Finally, having fought the good fight, having finished the race, you've kept the faith, and you can stand before him finally, righteous. Is it the joy of finally receiving a resurrection body where he will make all things new? Now, these are all causes for joy, but Paul is speaking here about another joy. He has been speaking in this letter and this passage of his heartfelt love and concern for the Thessalonians, this new bunch of Christians um, that he's been separated from. He said, when we were separated, it was like we were being orphaned from you. That agony of separation when parents and children are forcibly parted, that's what it was like for him. And he speaks of his intense longing that he has for them just to be able to see them again. So much so that he made every effort to see them again and again. He tried, but he couldn't do it. Um, On Thursday, I popped in at mainly music and I got talking to two grandparents who were there who, had, who were Germans, and they'd made the 46-hour journey from their village in Germany to Aldgate, um, just to be with their son and his wife and their grandchildren. And you could tell there was a lot of love in that family. There the granddad was, and the kids were climbing on top of him, you know, while he was talking. Both, both grandparents obviously delighted. You know, we've um, discovered, like yesterday, with Sally in France, we've, our daughter, we've just discovered that you know, FaceTiming someone overseas is really good. It is really good. But it's just not the same as being with them in the flesh. And you'll know that if you've been separated from loved ones during crisis times or times when you're worried, times when they're going through grief, suffering of some sort, the agony you feel of being separated is immense. That deep love and concern is what Paul felt for the Thessalonians. To him, they really were family. He said last week he was like their mother to them, he was like their father to them. And it's true, they had come to faith through him. He had shared the gospel with them and when they'd received the message about Jesus, they'd turned from their idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for Jesus from heaven and at that point they became his eternal family brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then he explains that to him, because the Lord Jesus will one day appear to him, they are, well, they're more than family. Chapter two, verse 19, he asks, he says, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? 
And then he says, is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Now, what does he mean? Let's go through these. He says, you're my hope. That sounds really strange. Jesus is our hope. How can they be his hope? Well, he's not trusting in them to save him from the coming wrath. Jesus is the one who does that. He's not trusting in them to put the world right. Jesus does that. He's speaking of his hope as something which he's looking forward to and what he's looking forward to in them is God finishing his work, God bringing to completion the work that he has begun in this group of people who Paul loves so much. Paul is is eager to see in them God's completed, perfected work. Now, we're in relationship with one another, okay? We're a church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around. You know, if you have been in relationship with people here for years, then you'll have glimpsed this. You know, if you've been in, in, say, growth groups, good reason to be in growth groups, um, you've travelled together through the years, through life's up and downs with people, shared your struggles, been vulnerable, prayed for one another, you have seen God answering prayers and seen God doing his work in people, changing character over time. We've glimpsed it, right? God maturing each other. Now then imagine just the change in us The joy when we look around and we see people we know and love, we've had history with, standing there with us, but God's completed his work. That will be an amazing day. Paul says, I am so looking forward to seeing that. You are my hope. And then he says, you're my joy. Because he exalts in the genuineness of their faith, the genuineness of their conversion, uh, which has stood the test despite considerable difficulty and suffering. It's caused him heartfelt joy. And again, it's, wonderfully to, it's wonderful to invest relationally uh, with people at church to get to know others, but you know, getting to know others is one thing, but to see people progress in the faith, keep persevering, even when it's costly to them, that brings a whole new depth of appreciation and joy and deep delight. So when the Apostle Paul thinks ahead to what it will be like to stand with these people in the presence of Christ at his coming, his heart is bursting. He says, you are my joy. And third, he says, you're the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. When Paul faces Christ, the fruit of of his life, a life spent in service to the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit will be plain to see. And if he is anticipating a commendation, a reward for what God achieved through him, he says, I'm not asking for a real crown. I'm not asking for a laurel wreath given to Roman champions. He says, guess what? You, the people in your church, you yourselves standing with me in Jesus' presence, in part because of the work that he's done. He says, you're my crown. For him, that will be enough just to be there with them. 
Now, could you imagine sharing that same feeling for yourself? There's someone you meet, you come across, someone, a stranger, but you speak to them with grace. Uh, they're surprised. No one's spoken to them with grace that day. You meet them again. You talk again. You begin to form a friendship. Um, you meet them over coffee or whatever, and then they ask you about your faith. You speak to them about Jesus. You eventually, because you enjoy one another, you eventually end up reading the Bible together. They grow in their interest and understanding. And then, after a year or two, they find, actually, they believe this stuff. They believe in the Lord Jesus just as you do. And soon enough, this person who once was your stranger, who has become your friend, now is your brother or your sister in Christ. And your crown on that day. Now, of course, it's God's work in them, right? It's not you. It's God's work. You've seen it. You've witnessed it before, before your eyes. But when you think of Jesus appearing, standing in his presence, the thing that really lights your fire is knowing that you will be standing there with them. And by God's grace, you've had a role to play. Now, that is joy. Their presence, in Jesus' presence, when he appears, whatever present you're looking forward to at Christmas, this one, that one, tops them all. It's said that it takes a whole church, to, a whole village, sorry, to raise a child. Well, often it takes, of course, a, a whole church to raise a child to be raised and presented to Christ. So, in our church, there are people who take interest in others, aren't they? In investing in them, kids leaders who pour themselves into the lives of our kids and youth. Now, if you're one of those people, um, just imagine it for a moment. On the last day, you see those that you've poured yourself into standing with you in the presence of the Lord Jesus. You've had a role in their lives. This is glorious for you. This is such a reward. I mean, just them being there with you, that's enough. So Paul speaks about future joy in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But that doesn't cut across present joy in the presence of our God, chapter three, verse nine. When he was forcibly removed from the Thessalonians, he was sick with worry for them until Timothy came back with a message, literally a gospel. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament where it doesn't refer to Jesus. Okay, so he comes back with good news. The good news of your faith and love, of the pleasant memories you have of Paul. Uh, they're, they're longing to see him just as Paul also longed to see them, meaning that in all Paul's distress and persecution, he was encouraged about them because of their faith. And so he says in verse eight, chapter three, now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Present joy in the presence of our God. Verse nine, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? I was trying to think of a parallel situation. Two weeks ago, we had Maggie Cruz uh, visit here. Maggie's a missionary who we've been partnering with as a church for years. She has been on the mission field for, what was it, was it 32 years in Africa and then most recently in Cambodia. 
And if you've been following her story, you'll know that the last 12 months have been extremely challenging and difficult for her, the, the most difficult of her whole time. But to hear from her in person, we've been wondering at a distance, how's she gone, how's she gone, how's she going? Praying for her. But then to see her with us and to hear from her that despite everything that's happened, she's still trusting in the Lord. She's still entrusting herself to her heavenly Father. She's still standing firm in the Lord. Right now, that brought a level of joy in the presence of God because of her. So present joy in the presence of our God, number four, our present Grinch. What Paul has said is all the more remarkable because Paul says that he and we have a present Grinch. Do you remember that Christmas movie, The Grinch That Stole Christmas? Well, we have a real Grinch who wants to end our joy. Chapter two, verse 18, Paul says, the reason that Paul, Silas, and Timothy couldn't come to them despite repeated efforts was that Satan blocked their way. Now, that word Satan is an Old Testament word which means opponent, adversary. Satan, Satan, is described as the father of lies the deceiver, the tempter, the murderer from the beginning. He is against all people, but especially Christ, and especially Christ's people, and especially anyone that's thinking of becoming one of Christ's people. He actively works against us. And in this case, Paul says, we wanted to get to you again and again, I really tried, but Satan blocked our way. Now, we make, that makes us wonder, how did Satan block their way? And how did Paul know that Satan blocked their way? Well, as to how, we're not told. Most likely, Paul had been legally banned from entering Thessalonica because of the public riot, which ended up in him being ejected from the town. And it may have been a condition uh, for his leaving that he never came back. As to how Paul knew that this was Satan's work, that is a very good question because if you read a little bit before in the book of Acts, Paul and his companions also encountered a blocked path, but it wasn't Satan that blocked it, it was the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, verse 6, we were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What? And when we tried to enter Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow us to. What? So bizarre. We're not told how the Spirit stopped them. Maybe it was a flooded river. You know, maybe it was, I don't know, dysentery over there. I don't know, who knows? But given that the Spirit had closed the door to the gospel on a previous occasion, not too, be, not too long before this, how can Paul now say that this closed door he was encountering was the work of Satan? Well, the answer seems to be that whereas the Spirit, in the other instance, closed one door, the Spirit was in fact directing Paul to another door that he was now opening. Paul 
after that the doors were closed, entering those places, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, uh, the region where Thessalonica and Philippi are cities in, um, pleading, come over and help us. And so as the Spirit closed doors and he opened others for the gospel, Paul, in this situation, has only encountered closed doors. That's it. Now, Satan is against the preaching of the gospel, so he concludes, Satan stopped us. So, Paul draws our attention to this adversary, Satan, who is powerful, who can obviously control events, and indeed, if we're right, public policy to shut down gospel opportunities. He can also tempt us to doubt and to destroy our faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He said, I was afraid when I had to suddenly leave that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Now, Satan does have this power. Remember the parable of the sower? Seed sown on the path, the bird, Satan, comes and snatches away the word. Or then seeds sown on the rocky soil where you know, a, a, something will spring up very quickly, but when persecution comes, it will wither and the life will drain out of it. Satan does have power not to accuse and condemn. That power was taken away from Satan through Jesus dying at the cross, but he, he does still oppose us. He does tempt us. He can stop people hearing the gospel. He is the Grinch that stole Christmas. He is our present Grinch. So what does Paul do knowing that he is alive, Satan is alive and well? He does, us what Je- he does what Jesus told all of us to do, and that is to pray. Do you remember when Jesus told us to do that? Remember the Lord's Prayer? Remember that line? Deliver us from evil. Well, recently I was... Um, thinking about my pattern of prayer. And if Jesus' Lord's Prayer is a model, him teaching us how we are to pray, uh, it was pointed out to me and I realised that that line, deliver deliver us from evil, or more accurately, deliver us from the evil one, that line is a prayer I really don't pray. It's just, I just don't pray it. I don't think about it. And then I realized, I need to start praying that way. I'm wrong. I realized I need to up my prayer life in that way. Now in verse 11, Paul does what Jesus tells us to do. He prays, he prays for deliverance. He says, now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Satan blocked us, but now we're praying against that, that God and the Lord Jesus will clear the way for us to come to you. Obviously, he is praying this because he thinks and believes that God and the Lord Jesus are more powerful than Satan. Satan has power, they have more. That's why he's praying and asking them to do for him what he's a victim of. Um, Okay.
In verses 12 and 13, Paul finishes by praying that we would stay ready for Christ's presence. And now he directs our eyes once again to Christ's return. Verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. In other words, may God work against Satan's discouragements. And despite Satan's best efforts to squash any gospel fruit, may the Lord make the fruit of the gospel, that is love, overflow in your lives. And then verse 13, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. That's the end point that he has in mind. When he says, may the Lord strengthen your hearts, it can sound like a wish, can't it? You know, or may this happen, that would be good. He's actively praying, actually, that it will happen. In other words, he's fighting against Satan by appealing to the one more powerful than Satan to counteract Satan's work. What he's asking for is strengthening of hearts so that the Thessalonians, so that we would keep believing in Jesus without giving up, but instead growing stronger and stronger, actually. A strengthening of our hearts, not a weakening or not even a staying at the status quo, a strengthening of our hearts. And the goal is that we'll be presented holy and blameless in the presence of God and of Jesus on the day of Christ. Are you blameless? Are you ready to stand in Jesus' presence? Now, all of you are thinking, no. <laughs> Let me give you some good news. It is God who will do this for you. Remember Jude 24 and 25? He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. And instead of trepidation, with great joy, right? Now why? He's able to do that because he is our savior. Because that's who God is to us, he is our savior. And because he has all majesty and all power and all authority through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Which means that he is more than able to deal with Satan, he's able to undo Satan's work. And that's why we're told in 1 John 3, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, without fault, holy, blameless. We will be clothed in Christ's righteousness, which is how God sees us now, in fact. Sometimes we can deliberately not think about Christ's coming because we're, in truth, afraid that we will be found wanting on that day. But we forget that it is God who will bring to completion his work in us. We forget that it's not really about us, it's about him, it's about Jesus. Through Jesus, God really is able to present us before his glorious presence without fault, with great joy. 
And because that is true, it's therefore worth praying this for ourselves and others. Do you ever pray that? Do you ever pray that for the people in your family? Lord, may you strengthen their hearts so that on that last day they would stand in your presence holy and blameless. Complete your work in them. What a great prayer. Well, it's worth praying that because uh, for ourselves and for other people, if we do, we won't be afraid. We'll have joy at his presence when he comes and we'll have joy now when we think about it. And guess what? Instead of being afraid and shutting out that thought of Jesus coming, we will in fact have strengthened hearts and we will long for his appearing. You know, God doesn't want us to be people who are afraid of that day. How terribly sad that would be, given all that Jesus has done for us, all that he's doing in us, and all that he's yet to finish. We are not to be people of fear, we are to be people of joy, who long for that day. Father in heaven, grateful to you, we ask for one another that by the might of your spirit you would strengthen our hearts, increase our faith, Help us to grow stronger, that we would hang on and long for his appearance and on that day be found holy and blameless in him, in your presence, the presence of the Lord Jesus. Complete your work in us. Amen.